All right, let's dive into my message. Uh, it's going to be uh, short and sweet, uh, about an hour and 15 minutes, and I'll get you out of here. Um, let me give this to you. Am I on? Am I on? Excellent, excellent. All right, so we're in the middle of a series right now called Stories That Jesus Told. And so we're going to dive right into the scriptures straight away. In John chapter 1, verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, speaking about John the Baptist, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. Now, uh, so often, uh, I'll talk with somebody in the lobby or in the hallway, and I hear over and over again, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. I just want you to know that in seasons like those, you may be looking too hard. Have you ever looked for your car keys and you're pulling up like couches and pillows and everything and and then you realize they're in your pocket or you're like, has anyone seen my glasses and they're sitting on your head? Come on, somebody. Sometimes we look too hard. Sometimes it's just right there. You will never do anything more special, more powerful than introducing someone to Jesus Christ. That'll be the most significant thing that you will ever do with your life is to look at somebody and say, hey, come to church with me. I found a place where Jesus, the presence of God is that you got to come. That's exactly what Andrew did. He went up to Peter and he said, you have got to come. I found Jesus. Uh, I've got three points for you today. Uh, The first point is you're set apart. The second point is you're uniquely designed. The third point is discovery is in his presence. You're set apart. Um, When Jesus met Peter, the first thing he did was change his name. It was the first thing. The reason why he changed his name is because names carry labels. He looked at Peter and he said, the label that has been on you is wrong. I just want to tell you for if any of you grew up or maybe you're in a season right now where somebody is speaking something on you, constantly insulting you. At first, when you're hearing that person insult you, you can kind of fight back mentally and emotionally and say, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stupid, I'm not this, I'm not that. But after a while, they can begin to inflict their opinion on you. And sometimes it's not just calling you a name, it's degrading you at the office, degrading you at work, and just making you feel like your contributions are not significant. It begins to wear you down. Jesus came along and says, you know, I I don't care what anyone else has said. I'm telling you that I see something in you that no one else sees. 
I see something in you that the people who love you most can't even see. So the first thing he did was change his name. And by changing his name, he set him apart from everyone else. The definition of holiness is to be set apart for an honorable use. The Bible says that you are holy. That he has set you apart for an honorable use. For those of you that have given your life to Jesus Christ. You've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. At that moment, he took you. You're not just one of seven billion people anymore. He set you apart. And when you love the Lord, you live a life of saying, I'm going to set myself apart. Not only has God set me apart, but I'm going to set myself apart. I'm not going to talk like somebody who doesn't know the truth. I'm not going to talk like somebody who isn't giving their life to God. I'm, I'm going to dress different. I'm going to talk different. I'm going to think different. I'm going to live with a different purpose. Amen. That's called pursuing holiness. Yeah. And the first thing that Jesus did was say, Peter, I've set you apart. I want everybody here to grab the toothbrush that that was given to you. Why don't you grab the toothbrush? If you haven't used the toothbrush yet, this is your opportunity. Uh, I just want you to know that my sermon is not going to leave a bitter taste in your mouth. It's going to leave a sweet little gel fresh taste. Let's imagine for a moment that you invite me over your house this afternoon. And um, some of you are thinking, it won't be this afternoon because I didn't clean, but just imagine I come over to your house and you serve me a great lunch, you serve me, um, it's got, you're taking stuff out of the pots and pans and you're serving me and we eat this great meal and uh, I stand up and I say, that was so good, let me help with the dishes. You're like, no, sit down, you're a guest. And I'm like, I insist, I'm going to help you. So I get in there and I got my sleeves rolled up and I'm clean. I'm like, hold on. And I get a towel. I'm like, just hold on. Don't touch the dishes. I'm going to be right back. I just need to use the restroom. You're like, okay, it's right around here. Take a right, take a left, whatever. I go use the restroom. I come out and I'm holding your toothbrush. How many of you, your toothbrush is sitting on the counter next to the sink? Raise your hand. How many of you, it's in a drawer? It's in a drawer. How many, I didn't see 100% of the hands go up. Very concerning. Feel free to keep this toothbrush. Um, But I come out with your toothbrush and I start doing the dishes with your toothbrush. And you're standing there and you're like, um, is that mine? (laughs) Oh yeah. And I'm just scrubbing away. Then I turn around and I start cleaning the counter. I'm cleaning. You're like, what are you doing with my toothbrush? And I'm like, it's made to clean things. And you're like, no, 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 no,
That's it. Only for my teeth. That's all. All that is, is for my teeth. A toothbrush is not designed for anything else. It has been set apart from everything else except for one specific role. To brush your teeth. And I just want to say, I am stealing this illustration from our children's department. Um, who was it? Was there? Roxanne. Roxanne. Right? Roxanne has been in our children's department for like seven years. And she taught our kids this. And I heard about it. I was like, get me some toothbrushes. Uh, Just so you know, if you're a part of our children's ministry, you're changing lives back there. And I thank you for it. I thank you for it. But every time you see your toothbrush, I want you to think about that. This has been set apart for a specific use. You yourself... You have been set apart for a specific use in the plans that God has for you. The journey that God has for you is not like anyone else's journey on this planet. It is not. And let me just say this. Your journey is so unbelievably amazing that if you could see it. This is so important. I've never said this before. You would not covet or desire anyone else's assignment. You would not desire it. You would love it so much. You would be fulfilled with it so much that you look at someone else's, you look at theirs, you're like, go girl, go. Go, oh yeah, oh you can keep on going. Oh, I love what I'm doing. The only time you will ever look at someone else's assignment and be like, man, I wish that was my oh man, it's because you don't know yours. If you knew yours, you wouldn't want theirs. Because God made the assignment and then he made you. The Bible says that I knew you while you, were mo- while you were in your mother's room. The plans that he made for you are good and holy. He knew the plan. He was like, that plan right there, I need this person right here. He had a square hole and made a square peg. I'm just telling you, the assignment he has for you is perfect for you. It is like fire shot up in your bones, lightning in your veins. If you're not excited about it, it's only because you haven't seen it yet. It's like arguing over a skateboard when somebody just bought you a Ferrari. The <laughs> Let me move on to the next one. You are uniquely designed. You know, uh, what's interesting about the Lord is, is as we get to know Him, we find out different things about Him. I want to encourage you, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because as you read that, you get to know Jesus. You get to see what He likes and what He doesn't like. It's hard to do His will here on earth as it is in heaven if you don't know what He likes. If I said, hey, I want you to go decorate my living room, the first thing you would say is, well, what do you like? 
Do you like solids? Do you like patterns? What do you like? When you read and you find out, you find out things that are very fascinating. Like God does not like bricks. He doesn't. In fact, he can't stand bricks. There was, in Genesis chapter 10, people decided to build a tower of Babel. He was not into the tower for many reasons. But one of the reasons was they were using bricks to build. He doesn't like bricks. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, it says, If you make me an altar, use rocks that have not been chiseled. He likes rocks over bricks. When you begin to think about it, there's several reasons why. Number one is he made rocks. You made bricks, he made rocks. The next reason though is bricks were designed to look alike and to fit in. Rocks were not designed to look alike and to fit in. I just want you to know that when you're at work or you're at school and you're living your life Monday through Saturday and you're just kind of fitting in and nobody knows how much you love the Lord, that wasn't the plan and it isn't the plan. He doesn't want you fitting in. It's like, oh, that'll be awkward. Yeah, rocks are awkward. Ask Goliath. No, I'm just kidding. Rocks Rocks have their own shape. See, uh, this is the whole role of the enemy. When he brings a rough season to you, he wants to get you to close your mouth, stop worshiping, stop praying. If your marriage isn't going good, if you can't make your financial commitments, if you're having a health struggle, if you're fighting depression, If you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, all of these things are just ways to get you to close your mouth, to shut down, and just be among the living dead. Where nobody knows how sad, how depressed, how worried, how stressed you are. You have learned to cover it up. And just fit in. You see when a marriage goes bad. The first few months. You try to cover it up. Maybe even the first three years. When you hate your life. It's not going at the trajectory that you anticipated it going. You can learn to cover that up for a little while. But after that season has lasted for a while. You no longer have the strength to cover it up. And now you can see it in the countenance and you don't even care. I don't care if you know, I'm tired of covering it up. So you just begin to shut down. And, you, and, and then hope begins to dissipate. If you have a child that doesn't love the Lord, if you have a child that is rebellious, at first you are expecting a turnaround at any moment, but then after the years go by, hope begins to fade. And now you can't even cover it up anymore. Now you're open about your disappointment. 
It doesn't matter what the struggle is. All struggles have the same goal in mind. To shut you up. To keep you from worshiping. To keep you from praying. To keep you from talking about the Lord. And to get you to fit into the culture, into our society and shut up. Don't be who God has created you to be. Get in the rat race. Get into corporate America. Focus on your bills. Focus on the dishes. Focus on the laundry. Focus on the grass. Focus on the yard. Focus on health. Focus on this. But do not focus on being who God has called you to be. Be a brick, not a rock. Everything is surrounded that. I just, I just want you to know that you, being sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Don't, don't ever... Don't ever, ever, doesn't matter how bad the storm is, don't ever shut up. It doesn't matter how bad it is. Talk about the Lord. Talk about Him. Talk about Him. Talk about Him. Doesn't matter. Point number three is discovery is always found in His presence. The plans of God are discovered in the presence of God. So often we try our hardest to figure out how to be happy, how to be prosperous, how to be successful and circumvent worshiping God. We do whatever we can do. We work harder. We try harder. We focus more. We get less sleep and work harder. All of these things. I just want you to know the plans of God are revealed in the presence of God. I'm going to give you two scriptures before I close. I'm going to close in the next couple minutes. But these two scriptures should mess up your life forever. Does anyone here want to get your life messed up? These two scriptures are going to mess you up. If you haven't been taking notes, just write down these two scriptures. Are you ready for both of them? In Jeremiah 33 verse 3, he says... Call out to me. I like that it says, it doesn't say pray to me. See, there's a difference between praying and calling. Here's praying. Lord, thank you for my food. Bless it unto my body. Even if it's chocolate, bless it unto my body anyway. Thank you for my food. Here's calling. Jesus, I gotta have you. That's calling. He says, call out to me, I will hear you. If you ever feel like God's not hearing you, I want to tell you this morning, he is hearing you. But then he doesn't stop there. He gives you two promises. If you call out to me, I promise to do two things. Number one, I'm going to hear you. And number two, this one's huge. I will tell you things that you do not know. As awesome as you are, as wonderful as you are, 
God knows things that you'll never know, but he doesn't want to keep them a secret. He wants to tell you. But the plans of God are found in the presence of God. When you wake up tomorrow morning, I want you to ask yourself the question, what is the most important thing I'm going to do today? Ask yourself that question. What's the most important thing I'm going to do today? And make sure you do that thing. I'm going to tell you what that thing is. It's to get on your knees and call out to God. If it's for one minute, if it's for one hour, I don't care. But it's the most important thing you will do all day. It's the most important thing you will do. And don't be surprised if he begins to whisper things that you didn't know. Are you ready for the second scripture? This one's going to mess you up. I'm just, and I'm just going to apologize now. Have you ever had faith for something and it didn't happen? You pray for somebody who's sick and it didn't happen. And not only did it, did it not happen then, it never happens. Have you ever prayed for a miracle and not only did it not happen, but all the miracles you've asked for don't happen? That's kind of hard to live with, isn't it? You have faith, but nothing ever happens. There's no power in your life at all. There's a scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says this. He says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. Now watch this. Here it comes. Ready? May he give you the power to accomplish all that your faith prompts you to do. Chew on that. You already have faith. You're already a Christian. You have faith and you're prompted to believe in something. And what Paul is saying, I pray that you have the power to go along with that prayer. I will. You know why? Because this doesn't get talked about in the church. That's why. That's why. Thank you, girl. You're helping me. I gave her $20 before the service. This is, it's just plain as day, right? In the Bible, I'm not making anything up. Paul said this. He says, oh, that you will have the power to accomplish that which your faith prompts you to do. Your faith is prompting you to do something, but nothing's happening. There is something, you cannot circumvent the presence of God. You can't do it. You can make a prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Guess what? Bang, you're going to heaven. But while you're here on earth, if you need the power of God, you got to spend the time in the presence of God. Don't get frustrated because God's not doing what you want him to do when we're not doing what he's asked us to do. That's all I got. You can stand up. I'd like our prayer partners to come down if they would. All throughout the building. 
There's, there's an electricity in the atmosphere in his church. There's an electricity. Electricity is the wrong word, but for lack of a better word. There's faith in the atmosphere. There's power in the atmosphere. The Bible says that David said, I love to go to his sanctuary where his presence dwells. If you need a miracle, it's in the air. His presence is in the air. I want to invite you to come out of your seat right now. Take the hand of a prayer partner and let them pray with you. There's no official dismissal at celebration. You can leave whenever you get ready. But if you have not given your life to the Lord, I want you to come out of your seat and tell the person down here and say, if my heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, I'm not ready. Let me ask you, if your heart did stop beating, In the next five minutes, are you ready to see Jesus? You got to get that straightened out today. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, I just want to say something to someone real quick. If you think that God has you, look at me, everybody. Look at me. God has you at arm's length, and he'll only let you get so close to him because of how you've been living your life. That is a lie from the enemy. If you think that God has a line out there, and he's saying, you, because, of, because you've been so inconsistent, Because you haven't been to church in so many years. Because of all the things you've said and all the things you've done. Everybody can come close to me except for you because of all that. That is a lie from the enemy. If that were true, none of us could get close to him. Do you want me to tell you what the greatest sin in the Bible is? All of them. The Bible says that if you've committed one, you're guilty of them all. That means if I stole something, I would be convicted of murder. You're convicted of them all. You committed one, all. So the sins that you've done are no worse than the sins that I've done. It's a lie from the enemy. God loves you. If he didn't love you, you would not be able to breathe. As long as you're breathing, he's still loving. Why don't you come out of your seat? Take the hand of a prayer partner. Be blessed, Celebration Church.